What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's episode is wonderful. Our guest today is the renegade professor, Evans Mayhew. If you don't know Evans, he's pretty awesome. He's a keynote speaker, a coach, mentor, consultant, and the founder of online learning platform Fast Fulcrum. His tagline is remain relevant in the age of automation. As AI and automation become more and more important while the pandemic continues to fuel innovation, this discussion is right on time. I think you're gonna dig this episode. Evans points to a lot of online resources and you'll leave with a pretty long reading list. We'll link them all in the show notes and stay tuned for a special Fast Fulcrum offer to all TCB crew members. All right, kick back, get your thinking cap on and let's get right on into it with Evans Mayhew on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, on that note, guys, welcome. <laughs> episode, <laughs> episode 63. Here we are. It is the 18th of November. Thanksgiving is next week, um, and Colorado is largely going to uh, level red. We we added a level this week. Did you guys yeah. see that? We got we yep. purple on top of red. Um, so, yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy mm. that. Uh, today's going to be a good day. Today is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we are going to do what we do, and we are we have a guest today. We're going to be chatting with Evans Mayhew. Say hello, Evans, to the group. Hey, everybody. I'm Evans. Everybody, everybody <laughs> say hey to Evans. Hey, hey Evans. Hey, hello. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm looking for new folks today. I don't think I see any newbies. Hey, Hillary, good to see you again. Hey, good I to was, be uh, I was uh, I was editing the, the the Ben episode the other day, um, and I got to see. <laughs> I, I forgot that you were the the Bill Murray fan who was the uh, who reorganized all of the ESP cards, and lo and behold, got it right. I still am shocked at that. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Awesome. All right. Well, let's get on into. A couple of quick headlines. Um, I saw a few things this week that caught my eye. There's a, uh, this was an article on CNBC uh, referencing a study from Harvard Business School um, about the biggest mistakes that folks are making in, in the work from home space. Um, they were talking about this notion of hybrid, you know, this part office, part from home that a lot of people are leaning on. And um, they, they actually interviewed uh, the CEO from GitLab. So GitLab is a uh, fully distributed company, 1,300 folks, all remote. And they tried some of the hybrid stuff along the way. And basically, he was saying, the hybrid thing can go horribly awry. It can actually, it can actually cause a lot more problems for you than going one way or the other, which I just thought was a little interesting. Uh, the next one, my mouse keeps dying on me here. I don't know why. Um, the next one here, um, I thought this was pretty interesting. Americans are scared to take sick days while working from home amid the pandemic. 
Hmm. So it was a survey of 2000 folks working from home um, and folks that had symptoms that they felt would qualify them to be off from work under normal circumstances. They not just a sore throat, but like more than that, um, they, they're, they're just working, um, which while they're not in danger of infecting anybody, um, we all know about productivity when you're not, not on your game. Um, and it was interesting because some of them said that, you know, they would actually need to lose their voice before they felt justified in um, taking time off. I mean, we're categorically bad at taking time off as a society anyway. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting wrinkle in the work from home uh, culture. Just that notion that I, I can't even get sick when I'm sick and I'm already at home. Well, I have uh, a question about that, Eric. Yeah. I'm curious whether you think they're afraid to say that they're sick because then maybe their coworkers think they have COVID, even maybe. though they're not in the office, you know? Yeah, maybe. Um, it, it was interesting. Um, most of them were, were afraid of justifying it, at least in, in this story. Um, so they would, they would try to take the time undocumented and hope nobody noticed. I just kind of hope everybody's down. Yeah. Um, but that's a good point, Deborah. I, I mean, there, there is a, there is a stigma around it. Right. I mean, or, uh -huh. a, or a badge, right. I mean, it depends on your, on your lens. I don't know. What do you guys think? I've never taken a sick day in the now eight years that I've worked at home. I just, you just tough it, go right through it. Um, and I've lost my voice. And as a recruiter, we all know I need my voice, but <laughs> I just figure out something different. So I think for me, it's go and take a dang day and it's okay. Um, but I think the counterpart of that is not necessarily whether you have COVID, it's whether you're actually sick or not. Um, I think that there's more stigma of being at home and are you really doing the job that you're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so I wonder. I wonder if this correlates at all to whether or not people feel like they work in a high trust environment. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what I've been reading, Laurie, as well. People yeah. choosing that you already think I'm shirking because I'm at home and you can't see what I'm doing, so I won't be sick. But also the fear of triggering and using up valuable time or uh, sick leave when mm -hmm. I may need it when I'm really, really, really sick. Mm -hmm. um, when so I do get the COVID. I, yeah. Yeah, I was going to add, I think the justification piece, I think um, building up of work and piling on and then having to make it up later. Uh, I think that's an impact of both sick time as well as even vacation. People don't want to take a day. Um, I also do think there is something to be said for people. If you pay out vacation at the end of the year, people want the cash. So they'll do everything they can to stay active on the books to get that payout at the end um, because that's real money for folks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting it's, that you mentioned that, Tina. I, I took a couple of companies from more traditional vacation policies to uh, unlimited PTO. Um, and and that was the, the sort of under the covers complaint when we did that, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't that, oh, yay, I don't have to track my time and I can take that trip to Europe or whatever. It's, you mean, I'm not going to get my two grand at the end of the year? <laughs> Right. It's an end I of wonder, year. Yeah. Sorry. I wonder if this will change. I mean, Colorado is what the ninth state in the country 
to start a sick pay, mandatory sick pay, January 1st. So it'll be interesting. We also just started the um, paid uh, medical leave in Colorado. That that passed, I believe, in the last ballot initiative. Yeah, that's two years away. But right. you guys are so behind. <laughs> DC, we've had that stuff in place for years. But no, we started paid sick leave. We started paying into that as employers last right. year, and it went into effect this year. But we've we've had mandatory um, sick leave limits. Um, for all employees, probably for five years now. Um, and um, I guess the culture in DC is is very much about like, you know, you need to have the stuff available to your staff so that they have the ability to be sick and not bring it in, you know, to the office or mm-hmm. whatever. So um, we've been changing our culture. So it's about like, so the stigma about being sick and working is something that we've been trying to break down because we don't want you working, right? And so just getting that message across to people, it's okay to be sick, you know, it, it's fine to be human, um, has been something we've been working on probably over the last five years, and it seems to be working. So no one's abusing it. What I find or, interesting- not really. Sorry, Yvonne. What I find interesting in our California location is that it's a use it or lose it. So we are finding that people are burning that week of sick time as a third week of vacation uh, instead of actually taking that as a sick time. This year may be different as COVID came, but uh, that's been our past history with it. Yeah, we have, we have, yeah, we have, um, uh, policies on the the books that say uh, if you're out longer than a certain amount of time, I believe it's three days on sick leave, then we will ask for your note. And so that's deterred uh, that usage. But we also have a very generous vacation policy so that none of us can honestly use. So, um, so the, getting that note in place seemed to deter that. What were you going to say, Laurel? I don't know. I muted myself and the idea just flew out of my head. <laughs> well, and you're welcome. Back, yeah, let us know. Hey, and, and for those of you uh, that need uh, some information about that new policy change in Colorado, Laurel posted a bunch of stuff over on the Bartender Network. So thanks, Laurel. You're welcome. The, the one that gets me that has my eyebrows in a permanent had too many, too much work done on my face expression <laughs> is, um, is the Equal Pay Act and having to post the range for the pay yeah. on every Colorado job posting starting January 1st. I rolled that out to my managers this morning. How did they that go? Were, oh, they were thrilled. Uh, <laughs> you know, but if you want to get a bunch of managers engaged in a conversation, <laughs> tell them that one. Laurel, did you post that also on the bartender? I did not. It's in the same. I put the link in, though, where you can find it. Okay. Yvonne, do you guys have that back east, the post the job pay ranges for every job you post? Um, We don't have it in D.C., um, but we've started doing it proactively just because – we want to be transparent and I wouldn't be surprised if DC actually goes in that direction because they tend to be very generous, um, an employee centric, uh, area. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised, but we do it anyway. 
It, it will it be interesting. It frightened me because I worked in so many startups and that assumes that you have pay ranges for <laughs> yeah. jobs. Yeah. Or that you know what the heck you're going to pay that person. Yeah. Once we, when you start. We tested um, posting uh, some ranges on some of our jobs and found that we actually got better qualified candidates. Um, so it actually improved our candidate flow uh, by doing that. Um, so we did kind of our own little research um, within the last year. So you might be surprised at, at what you find. I am not nearly as worried about the external world. Yeah. It's, it's that the, sense of, I don't make. Burp, burp, burp. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, I remember when when it was companies like Whole Foods flipped it over and just published everybody's salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting thing. And, you know, people got up in arms about it for a couple of months and then it just was normal. Yeah. Then you move on to the next conversation. I I told my managers that based on what they have told me in performance reviews and other things, I feel very good that I can justify at least 90 some odd percent of the wages we pay. Plus we're, we have to do affirmative action. We get our compensation checked by a third party every year to make sure that we don't have adverse impact and all of that. But I said, the problem is you're going to have to answer those questions because they're mm-hmm. coming to you first and you will be much more discreet than I will. <laughs> Cause I will tell them that, well, your manager says you're not worth what we're paying you, let alone <laughs> what we're asking this guy to earn. I love the Laurel Ditson open door HR policy. <laughs> <laughs> And as that door is open, she's going to hit you in the face with it as you walk through it. <laughs> it is it is a very good way to get managers to take us accountability for their own people. That's right. I can little, tell them little in my way. Stick. <laughs> but you know what? In all seriousness, I fire people really well. That is when I turn on the charm and the empathy. And I am... <laughs> well-versed at that and people walk away feeling good about themselves i know how, in between how sad, that <laughs> how sad is that 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 many of us here in this room have core competencies and that skill yeah yep. I've, um, I've, I've had somebody send me flowers after i fired <laughs> yep i've had them come back and thank me yeah. i got punched in the face got a hug. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> That is one advantage still of being a woman. It rarely happens. Well, and, and if it gets really bad, you can just put toilet paper in your shirt and then put more distance. Well, and you know, you know what my mask is. Yes, she'll be all decked out. All right, go ahead, Jenny. What were you going to say? Laura will be all decked out. Oh. I will. I've got the her whole mask and her bra. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last news item here today is was just kind of an expansion on the uh, the work from home tax that we talked about last mm-hmm. week, um, and and basically the summation here. This was a ZDNet article. Was that that probably wasn't going to happen? But there are a lot of other things that we should be thinking about, and just in terms of what the long term implications are of of work from home, and it kind of ties back to that first article about hybrid model seems like a good idea, but we really have to think it all the way through, really have to think it all the way through. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is kind of an interesting slide into 
the framing question around uh, what Evans is going to talk to us a little bit about today. And that's Evans, his, his tagline is remaining relevant in the age of automation. And I got to say, Evans, in this, in this photo that I stole off your LinkedIn, yeah. um, you, you, you look a lot like Corey Feldman to me. Oh, dude, I really would get into <laughs> that because I can see it. And I always was like, yeah, you know, if I just deny it to myself, then maybe other people. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are, Corey Feldman. So yeah. guys in the room here, um, thinking about automation, you know, before COVID, one of the things, and we've talked about this here before, one of the things that was relevant to HR was a lot of HR processes were getting automated, right? HR was was getting... I don't know if marginalized is the word, but the the more tactical operations of HR were were being automated by technology or being outsourced to uh, to to other 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 organizations. Um, and I'm curious around what has been changing for you guys as it relates to automation, whether that's automation via outsourcing or automation via technology, for your functions in this post-COVID time or during COVID time, have you seen more things being automated? Have things increased uh, speed-wise or, or did, have things kind of taken a pause? I think it has um, accelerated mm-hmm. the, um, the justification of making things easier, accessible online, you know, and, and driving automation rather than paper intensive or bureaucratic processes. And in some cases, even eliminating some processes that you just didn't need. So I think COVID has actually helped um, increase the appetite and accelerate some of the um, automations that maybe otherwise would have taken us longer. Yeah, I feel that. What else? Anybody else? You agree with Tina? Or do you want to fight her? I think I think we've seen that where we've looked at different ways of doing things because we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll speak on behalf of Leah, who I owe many bottles of wine to, because we've run into some some automation issues of just shit that doesn't work that's supposed mm-hmm. to be automated. And then it turns into audits and then it turns into fixing and then it turns into, right. And it, so that's, that's actually been our greater frustration is we've tried to be very proactive to automate by integrating systems electronically and to, to, you know, eliminate as many manual processes as we can. And like 50% of the time it doesn't work. And so (laughs) it's been super frustrating and Leah takes the brunt of that. Um, and so I feel like the, I don't know, the, the, the world of HRIS integration, it, it needs to step up the game. You know, I mean, we, we have had multiple different companies we've worked with, with different products and, and none of them go smoothly. So we've, we've really struggled with some of that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> Leah's just nodding. <laughs> Leah's, <Out of> <laughs> Leah's sticking a fork in her eye is what she's doing. For, for what I start drinking at 10 a.m. is just <laughs> one of those days. <laughs> Amen. I feel you. High five there, Leah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> a 
about a year ago, I had created a document about a digital strategy that I wanted to work on with my IT director and my business operations person to get all of our different platforms and automation and lack of automation all consistent, talking to it each other from an employee experience perspective. Because we'd bring in a new hire and it would take them forever to learn what was available to them, how to use it, the look, the feel. And I showed it, I report to the CFO, uh, which is a long story in itself. But he looked at this and, and went, well, this is, this is Tony's strategy. This is IT strategy. I said, no, technology is this much of it. This is a business strategy about how we manage people and how they interact with the business, no matter where we are. And he just ignored me and I ignored him and it was great. Um, and the three of us, IT biz ops, me, kept meeting and, and taking a path. And, you know, about April 10th, they had figured out that this is where we need to be driving our energy. Um, because all of a sudden Slack was coming in from, from grassroots, not from the company. And, you know, all of these systems, people are going, how do I get to this from home? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? And so we, we now have a, a cross-functional digital solutions clearinghouse mm-hmm. with engineering, IT, sales, a lot of people who never had a civil conversation with, with each other <laughs> about software, AI, automation in any form and all of that, mm-hmm. plus a brand new HR solution, which I had offered up as a guinea pig for this. And um, it it was very timely. Let's just put it that way. So we've become more relevant by being a big part of this whole transition. And I I think moving home has brought a lot of this to the forefront because who the heck wants to sit at home and do transactional stuff? You want to do the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you're stuck in the bits and bites. (laughs) Right. You might as well just put your mask on and stuff your shirt and go out. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. So that's been very good. That that's interesting. That's interesting, Laurel. And and that's that's a really good segue into our conversation with the renegade professor, Evans Mayhew. He's a, he's a coach, he's a mentor, he's a speaker, he's a trainer, he's a consultant. He uh, is the founder of Fast Fulcrum, and we'll talk about what that is. Um, but he's he's got a got a unique perspective on remaining relevant in the age of automation. So everybody, welcome Evans. Let's give him a hand. Golf claps for you, Evans. I'll give you some real applause here. There you go. Some applause. So Evans, tell us about you. Tell us about why anybody would care to listen to the Renegade Professor talk. Give us an overview of your career story, including any weird or unusual jobs that you might have had along the path. Sure. Well, it's it's funny you ask that. So one of the things I open up with in, in the keynote that I typically give is I talk about 
all the various jobs that I've had. And I go all the way back to, um, I grew up in Oklahoma. My first job was working as a janitor. And that was uh, at age 14. And so started working there, had to get permission from the state to work that early, mainly because my dad said, newsflash, I'm not going to buy you a car. And so you want my car, <laughs> by the time you're 16, um, get working. So I wasn't qualified to do anything but basically clean toilets and scrub floors. So I started there, ended up moving on to working in a grocery store, and then went on to college, did a lot of different jobs there. But uh, when I got out of college, I, uh, so I picked up, um, picked up a degree in English and picked up another degree in mass comm, which was really just a journalism thing. I thought it was going to be Fletch. Uh-huh. Right. And so <laughs> I, got, I got out of college, moved to Denver with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I, I could not even give away anything that I had to offer. So I was going to newspapers and, and saying, hey, I'll, I'll basically just work for free just to be there so that if something opens up, I can take it. And they're like, we've already got three guys doing that. And so I ended up going on, picking up a master's degree. Uh, but while I was doing that, I managed, uh, I managed a uh, ship received department in a little toy store that used to be down on 2nd Avenue in Denver. It's now sadly gone. Then I moved on to media play and did that kind of thing. But then I started moving into into technology a little bit more and um, ended up being a business analyst, a systems analyst, uh, ended up moving on from there, uh, ended up managing global competitive intelligence for a very large company, managed ops in uh, 190 countries, segued over into working in information security. So um, suffice it to say, it's been a very patchwork <laughs> career. But so what what is competitive intelligence? Competitive intelligence is where you are sitting within a given company and you're doing market intelligence to look at where things are happening out in the world, but you're also looking at your competitors and how they're relating to that terrain. And so then you're trying to look at if you're a publicly traded company, you want to say, okay, how are we going to increase shareholder value, increase market share, increase share price, etc. So you help to feed the intel that will get you to a place where you, uh, you can accomplish that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's competitive intelligence. Sounds very sexy. Uh, sometimes it's really, really not. And, and somewhere along this path, you, you took a right turn to, to, to DU and became yeah. a renegade professor. Well, no, I, I became the renegade professor <laughs> when I left DU. So, um, so no, I was uh, I was an adjunct professor for about seventeen years, taught forty unique classes in that time across multiple different areas and disciplines. So, taught information security, uh, taught inform uh, so uh, competitive intelligence, also taught um, leadership, organizational behavior, etc. And so, um, I was kind of a utility player for them, and that's really been the story of my life is is being being very very broad. Uh, one of the things that came about when I was there was starting to to look around and look at how how the world is actually changing, and starting to ask the question. Okay, I'm I'm and I was also an academic director there for a while, so I got to not only make the sausage and then package it and then go forward and sell it in the classroom. The um, and and, and what I'm saying is not an indictment of DU by any stretch. I think it's I think it's a challenge that traditional education faces as a whole right now. 
But what you've got is you've got a system that perhaps isn't preparing people as well as it could for the environment in which we find ourselves right now. And yeah. so um, that was where I ended up uh, leaving DU in 2017. And I started pulling together this curriculum of, it's the Fast Fulcrum curriculum. So I started looking at what would I want to learn at this point if I was starting to work in higher education? What, what, would, what would I want my path to entail? Yeah. And so, and then also, of course, looking at what I had taught over the years. And so it came down to different perspectives need to be, need to be um, conveyed regarding education and also different perspectives about your skill set, about how do you relate that to the world? How do you have a different, I think, philosophy in terms of how you relate to the workplace into the train as a whole. So I, I had three T's that I convey in the first class is tools, terrain, and tribe. And I look at what tools do you have that are available to you? How do you map that to a changing terrain? And then what people do you have in your tribe that can help you along the way? So, so um, yeah. It, it's interesting, right? Uh, the, the, the gap in the education space. I mean, I, I've been saying for a few years now that higher education's got to change. It's just, it's got to be different. And, you know, being a fellow former adjunct at DU as well, right? DU, a a private school that is not very cheap, um, (laughs) putting a lot of the, of the delivery work on, on guys like, like me and Evans, um, the, the value proposition is, is, has been degrading for years, I think. But I think this, this COVID epidemic pandemic here has has shined a light on that in a way that probably would have eventually happened but not for a while right yeah so, so you go ahead Eric. so you saw you saw that, that there was this need for change and and you created fast fulcrum well tell, tell us what that is and and what was the 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 prompt for you to go, this is what I need to do right now. Sure. I read this article or series of articles. This was, this was some time ago. And it talked about the concept of generation flux. And it wasn't tied to a specific demographic. It was simply saying, Hey, look, the workplace is changing radically in terms of how long people stay in their roles, et cetera. And so I think they were, they were perhaps using the term, job and career interchangeably, but um, but the the real punchline was everything is changing very quickly. People aren't going on getting a job out of college, staying there for 25 years, getting a gold watch. Now I have, I'm, I'm really renegade within my wife's family because my wife's family, um, a couple of them are federal employees. And so one has retired and the other one is still there and about to retire. And so I am a freaking alien to them because <laughs> that's what they're used to. And that's perfectly fine. However, that's the exception now. It's not the rule. And so you look at having worked in tech for so long, um, and I say this, and sometimes people gasp, but I'm very authentic about it and open about it. But I've been laid off six times in 20 years. And you get into a situation in tech where 
you've got restructuring, you've got reorganization, you've got financial downfalls, you've got just emergency, emergency rifts that take place. It happens. Here's my deal. I'm going to come back to the whole coronavirus thing. But in the age of coronavirus, when you look at how many people are out of work, suddenly that's my superpower because I've been laid off six times and I can tell you how to survive because I did. But let me tell you how I didn't do it. I didn't do it by being a specialist. I did it from being more of a generalist. So it's where you, if you specialize and specialize and specialize, especially in the age of automation, you've now created a situation where people who are highly specialized and that's all they can do, run the risk of being automated. And so it's more of a T-shaped proposition. Do you have breadth into which you can come up, move along this axis, and then continue to survive, develop additional skills as you go? I'm not saying don't be a specialist. Ask anybody who needs a brain surgeon, you don't want to jump. <laughs> but you, specialization is very good, but you can have multiple cores. And you also need to have other areas of, of perhaps a, a lesser core that you can shift into if you need to. And that's been my life story, sticking to it. But the, the thing is with Fast Fulcrum is... I'm trying to teach people, I think we're, we're very, very conditioned to believe that education happens a certain way for a certain time and in a certain place. So education is associated with school, not so much necessarily. And so if you look at coronavirus, coronavirus has two interesting impacts. One is suddenly it's scattering everybody to the four corners of the world, sort of. And so what you're doing is you're having to, to get your education. My son is sitting about 20 feet from me, and he's taking college classes from, through distance learning because he has to. But this is a disruptive model. Yeah. What else is happening with coronavirus? A lot of people are laid off. And if you go back to articles that were released this summer and then up to as recently as a couple of months ago, um, you've got articles in Time and Forbes and The Guardian which are talking about how coronavirus is accelerating the adoption of automation worldwide. Because just because the people have been displaced doesn't mean the jobs don't still need to be carried out. The work associated with those jobs needs to be carried out. And so you've got automation solutions that are being adopted much more quickly. Back to the point earlier, that does not mean it's a holy grail and it's a real easy turnkey solution. Every technology is going to give you trouble, but uh, they can justify it. Right. So, oh, are you frozen? Nope. Oh, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'm just very. <laughs> so you you choose as your tagline remaining relevant in the yeah. age of automation. What does that mean, remaining relevant, and how does that how does that apply to normal people like me and this crew? It helps you to remain viable, really. And so how do you continue to, and I hate to use this term, it used to be not many people used it, so it was cool. And now I think I think a lot of people use it, but it helps you to survive and thrive in the age of automation. Um, what I endorse, though, is not a one and done. It's definitely a rinse and repeat. And so it's about going out, looking at the world. Um, you and I talked about the the now I took the Ikigai framework and then I tied it to a couple of competitive intelligence methodologies that I used to use all the time to come up with, this is kind of how you need to see yourself and then how you need to turn that outward to the world. And then continue, you've got to keep working, changing, pivoting and evolving. 
So, so that that string of words that came out of your mouth sounded like something from from a Silicon Valley blog. Um, help I, help our our folks here understand what is Ikigai because I thought this was fascinating. Sure, um, and I, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to do this, but I will because when you and I were talking about it, I'm like doing shapes and making shadows on the wall with my hands to try to describe it. So I've got a couple of slides if you want me to share my screen. Yeah, Are by you all sure? means. Okay, cool. Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to jump in here. I mean, I'll miss the shadow puppets, but I appreciate the screen. Sure. Can everybody see that? Yep. All right. So... So where this really comes from, this is a this is a Japanese methodology of introspection. And when I was building Fast Fulcrum, I was describing it to a buddy, somebody in my tribe. And I was like, yeah, what I need people to do is I need for them to truly understand the assets that they have in their arsenal that they can actually use. Because I think all too often people don't have that. So when I go back to when I was rattling off the different, the different weird jobs that I've had, they all matter. Because if you have to rely upon your past experience, professional and otherwise, to, to suddenly uh, use those, those learnings and skills for survival, they matter. And so I was saying, yeah, I need this, this introspection. It needs to do this and this. And my buddy was like, he's a real estate investor. And he was like, oh, I was on a real estate investment blog the other day. And somebody's talking about guy. That's what you're describing. I was like, what? And so here it is. Um, what I do is I walk people through this, but again, this is not really a navel gazing type of exercise. This is actually taking stock of what assets you have that you can leverage if you need to survive, which, you know, you do. So if you start at the top, I think it's essential because you look at what do you value? What do you respect? What do you love? If you look at a lot of uh, traditional Ikigai diagrams, they say, what do you love? Fine. But that's a little too greeting card for me. So to me, it really translates down to what do you respect and what do you value? You have to identify those things. One of the things I learned in competitive intelligence is that it goes back to that old modicum of if you're playing chess or poker against somebody, you're not playing the game, you're playing the person. So one of the things I learned when I had to very rapidly construct some kind of understanding of what a competing C-suite or board was doing, I needed to understand what they valued as people, because most of the time, you're not going to act in a way that's incongruent to what you value. And so that can be flipped over to you. So you're not going to behave in a way that that isn't congruent with what you value. You got to figure that out, because this is about speed. If you're looking at automation, and you're looking at having to pivot quickly and to learn things quickly and to adapt and evolve, you can't be doing a four-year thing. So you have to figure out what do you value, what can you learn quickly, and then spin up those skills. And that ties in with everything else. So you see the various components here. You've got passion. You've got mission, which ties into value. So I always say mission is, guess what? If somebody comes to you and says, you've got one year of life left, what do you intend to do? And so sometimes that helps you to figure out your mission in a big hurry. Then you've got profession. What do you do for a living for three hots and a cot? What do you call? <laughs> and then you start looking out at what are you actually good at? Not what your family says you're good at, but what are you actually good at? Because that matters. You need to be very honest and truthful with yourself. 
then over to what you can be paid for, and then out to what the world needs. And then I tie that in with SWAT, which everybody knows about SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So I take that, I take Ikigai, I take the learnings there. And so that's more internally facing with a little bit of external. Then I take this and I say, all right, strengths and weaknesses. What are your strengths and weaknesses? And then we start to continue to look out a little bit further. So you look at opportunities and threats. The way I put this on a chessboard is I say, you're standing at square zero, that's your Ikigai. You look out one to two squares on the board, that's your SWAT. And then your final is you look at step, which is sociological, technological, economic, and political. So that's- I, 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 like, it. I like it when you call it pest. Yeah, so that's <laughs> I, I called it pest because, because one of my students said, don't call it pest because that's got a negative connotation. Say yeah, because it's a step in the right direction. I'm like, fine, whatever. So, um, so I left it there and I, I thought, you know, hey, we'll play it both ways. But this is where you're looking further down the board at the big picture. Why? Because the further out you look at what's happening in the world, the more horizon you have. You have more time to deal with what's happening. And so it gives you a different perspective. So it's and then if you look at the final piece we have, which is tribes. So looking at who are the people to whom you're connected, what are the nature of the relationships that you have, et cetera. Let me tell you, a tribe, my tribes have saved me every single time that, that I've run into trouble, every time. So um, I'm just going to stop the share if I can, try and get my mouth. There we go. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's, I hope I'm answering your question effectively, but um, that's, that's the first class. So that's remain relevant. So that's where we start from. And then we have six subsequent classes that really work on changing perspectives with regard to education, with regard to creativity, with regard to uh, curiosity. We've got a class in there called, uh, I, igniting the iconoclast because I tried to look at what's the hardest thing in the world to automate and that's an iconoclast. So what attributes do they have and how can you start to develop some of those skills? One of my students said, I'm not comfortable with that at all. So I'm going to actually call it an iconoclast. So Ooh. what can I do within my particular scope with which I'm comfortable? So, um, so yeah. That's cool. When we were talking about, about Ikigai, on the pre-show call, yeah. you used a word um, that resonated with me, or it stuck out. You yeah. you used the word weaponizing. Yeah, yeah. So talk about weaponizing this love, passion, mission, calling. Yeah, the, the way I think about it is, I'm trying to kind of flip it in a different direction. So a lot of times we're talking about very soft subjects here, and so we're talking about your vocation. Um, your passion, your mission. A lot of times I think people, they consider that to be just way too candy floss. And so when you try to apply it to a practical solution, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, let's get down to the nuts and bolts. I'm pretty pragmatic when it comes to this stuff. So when I say we're weaponizing it, we're putting an edge on it so you can cut with it because you need to. So you need to figure this stuff out because trust me, when the door closes on you, um, 
you got to have some place to go. You got to figure stuff out. Start doing it now and get into the habit of doing the things that I teach within this curriculum so that if and when the wolf is at the door, you're better, mm-hmm. you're better uh, equipped, you're weaponized, or your, uh, your, your arsenal is at the ready to deal with it. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, <clears throat> so remain relevant is where it starts. And then yeah. it goes into developing contextual skill sets. Is that the yeah. next step? Yeah. So developing contextual skill sets, that's where I really try to, um, I guess you'd say, dissolve the perceptions around education. Because I use three specific texts that really help people to see, ah, I, I can really take on education as a responsibility for myself. And I can, using the findings that we that we came up with in the Remain Relevant course, I can use that to guide how I can build my own curriculum and study, adapt, evolve. So I used, uh, used three texts there. I used a great book called Meta Skills. But then uh, further, there's a book called The Medici Effect by Franz Johansson. And then Secrets of the Buccaneer Scholar by James Marcus Bach. A Buccaneer and, Scholar. Yeah, yeah. Those those books, I have to say, um, especially Medici Effect and Buccaneer Scholar, really change perspectives on how one can think and what education actually is. And so then from there, you're taking on a big responsibility. Fast Fulcrum isn't isn't a, uh, hey, I'm going to take this class and I'm done with it, or classes and I'm all done and whatever. It's really saying, you're buying into what amounts to like a, a lifetime membership to a gym. And it's, it's your job to keep lifting and to keep getting stronger because um, things aren't going to stop. The challenges aren't going to stop. Then I, I have a couple of classes, which again, this, this feels like soft stuff, but it isn't. It's uh, I teach creativity. I teach cultivating curiosity and I use curiosity as a targeting mechanism. So it's like, okay, if you've, if you figured out what your values are, if you have a completely different perspective on how to deal with education, so now you need to start leveraging your curiosity to say, all right, this is something in which I'm interested because it's, con- it's actually in conjunction with my value stack. I'm curious about this, and now you know how to go out, pursue it, learn about it. And then, um, and of course, we've got, there's a class that some people kind of shy away from, but they shouldn't. Um, it's called leveraging intelligence and I don't use any math, but I get into a high level (laughs) approach of game theory, systems thinking and risk intelligence, because if you take those things and then you map them back to a step or pest, then you start to understand how to regard the pieces on the board and how to move. And so this will help you to guide your decisions in terms of how you choose to develop and continue to learn. Then I've got, again, the Iconic Class class, and then the final one is Remain Relevant 2.0, which provides additional methods of introspection, but again, weaponized, and then more tools on, on uh, competitive intelligence. Yeah, so it's funny. I love that it's bookended with Remaining Relevant because that's the through line. Right. Yeah. It's about it's about changing your thinking. And I I love the gym metaphor um, because it's 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 flexing a different mindset, a different approach. Right. Right. And and it's it's perpetual. Right. It's it's never I I love that you said you're not done. Right. You're never done. You're done when they throw a shovel of dirt in your face. Then you're done. 
peace peace on that exactly. you, you you said something else uh to me recently that really kind of stuck with me and i've been thinking about it a lot since you said it and it's just a simple quote you said focus is the new iq yeah i came across that that was a few years ago i was reading some i want to say it was in forbes and it was one of those things that that they just kind of bumper sticker, you know, slap it in the middle of an article, but it's not really attributed to anybody anywhere ever. But it's one of those things where you're like, I've got to write that down. And so if I ever actually get a tattoo, it'll be this. <laughs> it said, yeah, it was focus is the new IQ. And I'm like, oh my God, I had a, I had a mentor. This guy was amazing. So um, he passed away last year. He was a World War II veteran. Um, got out of World War II, and he took a Juris Doctorate and a Doctorate in the Classics. And this guy, if you want to picture him, he looked like a clean-shaven Gandalf. <laughs> Do you have the hat, the tall, pointy Not hat? quite. He did, wear, he did wear kind of a fedora thing. But he, he was amazing, and he would always point at me, just gnarled middle finger, focus! And... I was I was in I was in college. I was busy doing other things. Focusing wasn't really my jam. But now, when you look at how many distractions we have right now, and you look at the fact that the attention span back in the '80s was about 20 minutes, which was when I was working with him. Now it's about seven seconds. I'm not being hyperbolic. That's a thing. So, focus is the new IQ. If you can actually focus on something and really dig down. There's a great book by Cal Newport called Deep Work, which uh, that book is amazing. I highly recommend it to everybody. But it really gets at getting away from all the digital static and dig down and, and really hunker down and focus. And to me, that's that provides its own rush. It's very hard to do. But that's where I'm really trying to go with teaching people how to think differently and how to approach a lot of this development is a very, is a very cyclical process. It never stops. You keep going, but, but focus is a big piece of it. Yeah. It's oh, funny. I, Go ahead. Go ahead. Liz. I was just going to say it. I'm, I'm kind of translating this into what we try to do around individual development plans, right. Mm -hmm. For, for folks who, who want, who need to be more T-shaped. We have the people that are deep in their area. Um, yeah. And then we have the, the folks that want to uh, be more T-shaped. And we've been able to, and, and I love this um, Ikigai. I wish I had seen this about four weeks ago. <laughs> because <laughs> we, we went through a process where we had three internal candidates who all applied for a role on the executive team. And so the commitment to all of those candidates is whoever was not chosen would be um, given individual development opportunities to help them, right, get to the place where they would need to be in order to sit at that executive level, whether right. it's in our organization or somewhere else. And what happened is the whole executive team collaborated on the two who were not chosen to help identify opportunities for them within the organization. And so we had somebody laterally transfer from a VP of one area to a VP of a tangent, but very different area. We moved one team out of one area and put it into another area to give someone a bigger scope. So it, had we had this model as well, that, that would have been a really cool layer on that to really help them identify 
where they're going and what they need. Um, just thinking about it from the internal to a company professional development opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So Evans, if we could all do one thing to improve our quality of life during this weirdo year that we're all experiencing, what would, what would that be from your perspective? Hmm. Well, so I think that the thing is, it comes, and I hate to do this, it, it does, in my opinion, it comes back to Ikigai, right? So if you can identify what you really value um, and then start to focus on that, start to not think about, okay, this is how things have been disrupted, but try to find something about which you actually care and you think you can leverage your diving into that as a method of growth, mm -hmm. I think you should definitely do that. So I'm trying to spin up very, very, uh, very new skills while I'm, I'm, I'm saving a ton of money on the commute. I'm saving a, right. Yeah, I'm saving a ton of time. The family dynamics have definitely changed. It's been great. Thank God I actually like my family. And so you're I, not weaponizing them. No, no. <laughs> um, it's uh, it hasn't been terribly good for my waistline, I have to admit, because my wife is already an amazing cook, and that's that is her passion. And so she is constant plus she's uh she's celiac, so she's constantly hacking recipes to try to take this knowledge and learn how to make more and more stuff. And so I get to be the test subject along with my sons. So, um, so yeah, I, I really think if we focus on something and really try to cultivate something that will give us a sense of accomplishment and achievement, I think that's the way to go. And Hey, listen, value stack again, it has to do with what is, what is your particular uh, passion. What are you interested in? Take advantage of this. Like granted, um, again, with the focus, but you look at, you look at Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. I've got a buddy who posts on Facebook. It was hilarious. He's like, well, I finished Netflix. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, that's great. But is that really feeding you? If it is rock out, yeah, but yeah, just find a way to find something that you can, whatever it is, to, to get a sense of achievement. So if the folks here want to dig a little deeper on Fast Fulcrum, um, I'm assuming fastfulcrum.com and Evans at Fast Fulcrum. Is that how we get a hold of you? Yeah. So my email is evans at fastfulcrum.com. Uh, the fastfulcrum.com site is, uh, it, it took a hit and it's limping. But if you want to go out and look at my blog content or get in touch with me, uh, feel free to do so. Happy to talk about anything and everything. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here today, Evans. Oh, uh, guys, yeah. Guys, have any questions for Evans before we shift into funny stuff and get you on out of here? I have, I have a question. What part do you think people seem to have the most trouble with? As Because it all sounds good, right? When you... Um, when you're talking about it, but I'm guessing inevitably someone's going to say, Oh, I, this is a lot harder. Like it, it looks, it sounds very simple, but it's deceptively simple. And I'm having, I'm struggling to incorporate this. Is there something in particular that people usually kind of hit the same point with? 
Yeah. So it, yeah, the thing about it is, is with introspection, if you're doing it right, it's, it's never simple. And so I've got, I've got some students who I, I truly believe that we're often conditioned from a, from a cultural and societal standpoint. I think we're conditioned to not acknowledge our strengths. I think that people think that even if it's internally, that's, it's, it's bragging or whatever. And so I've had people come to me after a class and they're like, Hey Evans, uh, I don't have any skills. And I'm like, (laughs) really? And so we start talking about it, just shooting the bull. And then suddenly it's like, you know, what do you do in your spare time? What do you got going on? Oh, well, I coach kids. And I'm like, oh, really? And what? You know, football. Okay, cool. What kind of challenges do you run into there? Yeah, I see this, this, and this. And I'm really working on helping them with that. I'm like, well, you're unpacking all this stuff that you can do, that you take for granted. And one of the things I try, to, I try to tell people is when I moved to Denver, I was blown away every time I looked to the West. The Rockies sitting there are just amazing. Guess what? I don't see them anymore. And that's yeah. a mountain range. So you see stuff all the time and you stop seeing it. And so the biggest challenge I'm running into, Hillary, is getting people to actually own what they're good at. Does that make sense? That does. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, Evans, I got to tell you that the the Ikigai framework that is just super powerful in in refocusing, right? In in a world where that's yeah. dominated by noise, right? It's being able to separate the signal from the noise and that's that's amazing. It's worth it just for that. But you've been Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. More applause for you. I won't, I will not give you the sad trombone. (laughs) All right, guys, let's do the funny stuff and get on out of here. So today's funny things. Funny thing number one, um, I, I couldn't pass it up. That's a Four Seasons Total Landscaping trailer. It's like seeing a celebrity in real life. (laughs) Oh, funny thing number two. This is the guy we had on in the good feels a few weeks ago. This dude has to carry around juice for the rest of his life. (laughs) Uh, Number three. Mom used to tell me to make a lawyer. I just realized she was calling me a bitch that whole time. (laughs) Uh, funny thing number four you'll have i'm a cat person now so you'll appreciate this cat people this is people working at home in sweatpants that's pfizer over there (laughs) (laughs) oh and the last funny thing today comes courtesy of ben whiting he texted me this yesterday and i thought it was hilarious all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call in names. So Rudolph killed them, killed them all. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was having a rough day today, uh, technologically speaking. So my good feel story is just a picture of my cat and the phrase, another day vertical and breathing is a gift. <laughs> and 
today's semi-quarantine cocktail. It's got just as much energy behind it. It's moonshine <laughs> because I'm from the South and I'm close to just giving up. I will give anybody credit if they know or can name where this picture is from. The picture of this still. Anybody have any guesses? Breaking Bad. Uh, nope. <laughs> is it from MASH? It, it is from MASH. Yes. Wow. This is Hawkeye's still from Get the swamp. inside line. <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much. Thanks. Sorry, go ahead, Laurie. What did you say? I have a funny story. So I was feeling under the weather a couple of weeks ago and I asked my, I had mentioned to my friend that I wanted some fire cider and fire cider where I was thinking of is like the apple cider vinegar drink with, you know, that's like really good to boost, boost your immunity. Well, right. his interpretation was um, like fire moonshine. So he's like, oh yeah, I got some, I'll bring some over. My mom makes that, they're really, you know, big gardeners. So I didn't question it. And I took a swig of it and it was this moonshine. And I felt like I had been done so wrong. I was like, this was the complete opposite of what I was needing in my life. And so now I have this big thing of cinnamon moonshine just sitting there waiting to be drunk, which I'm sure will happen over the holidays so i was oh, gonna say leah if you're right. looking to get rid of that um i can help you out <laughs> yeah. but are you are you feeling better <laughs> i am i am i was temporarily feeling better from it but uh yeah it was like it's like whenever you think you're taking a sip of water and you're taking a sip of vodka not right. quite what you expected <laughs> that's hilarious oh i love it guys thank you so much Love you all. It has been a great day. Thanks, Evans, for being here. I will make sure that I get links to everything, to Fast Fulcrum, to all the books, to the Ikigai framework. I'll get Evans to send me his slides. I'll put them up, too, on the Bartender Network and in the show notes for this episode. Um, thank you so much, Evans. If you guys want to get a hold of Evans, feel free. Reach out to him. Let him know you're there. Check out the Fast Fulcrum uh, curriculum and uh, go deep, go deep on yourself. Let's do this. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Have a fantastic Thank Thanksgiving. You. Oh, not Thanksgiving. We have one more before Thanksgiving. We're going to do fun stuff then. So we'll do fun things. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>